Music, which is God's idea, right? Part of his creation that we get to enjoy in this world. Music can do something in the depths of our being that the spoken word just can't do. It was fun, even as we went around with my family, just my immediate family, and we talked about what we're thankful for. My, my daughter said, I'm thankful for music, for what it can do inside of us. So when you listen to that song, by the way, anybody know that song? Yeah, Metallica and Justice for All is the name of that song. Now we're talking about justice, and what's interesting, when you hear the intensity of that song, whenever you're gonna talk about justice, then obviously on the flip side, you've got injustice. And even within that music, you can feel the tension and then all of a sudden it shifts and it's absolutely beautiful. Because when there's justice happening, things are good and things are right. And when there's injustice happening, it's tense, it's wrong, there's conflict. And so that's what we wanna look at today is the reality that our God, that we worship and that we love is a God of justice. So even yesterday, I'm, I'm reading Psalms right now for my own personal time, just trying to connect with God every day. And I read uh, yesterday, Psalm 67, or I'm sorry, 68. And it says, may God arise, may his enemies be scattered. May his foes flee before him. May you blow them away like smoke as, max, as wax melts before the fire. May the wicked perish before God. So in there, you sense the intensity of a righteous God who hates wickedness, who hates injustice, and the intensity, and then the next verse is, but may the righteous be glad and rejoice before God. May they be happy and joyful. Sing to God. Sing in praise of his name. Extol him who rides on the clouds, this big and awesome and strong God. And then listen, that God is a father to the fatherless, a defender of widows, he is God in his holy dwelling, and he sets the lonely in families, and he leads out the prisoner with singing. That's our God. And so we're going to look at that today, and I am really excited because there's, uh, I'm developing a really great friendship with somebody here at K2 um, who lives in this area of justice. And so I'd love to introduce Steve Trost to you all. Would you please uh, welcome Steve as he comes to the stage and to share with us today? All right. So, thanks, man. So when we moved here back in 2003, uh, Steve was the director of the rescue mission in town. We actually brought him in to kind of help us to understand what was going on and how to do ministry here in the Salt Lake City uh, with the homeless. And, uh, and then Steve kind of went on a journey and uh, recently has just moved back um, to Salt Lake and um, to start a legal clinic that we're going to talk about in just a second. So your life, much of your life has been enmeshed in this area of, of justice. So you started off in law. Why did you decide to pursue law? Well, you know, I was in engineering in undergraduate school, and uh, when I uh, finished my tour of duty in the Army, um, there wasn't much going on in aerospace. And so I looked around, and I always kind of intrigued by the law, because like engineering, it's very logical, it's very analytical, and if you prove these things, this conclusion follows. So I thought, you know what, that's, that's something I'm going to pursue. And so uh, you've done different types of law. Why don't you just kind of share the history of what you've, of your journey in that, in that yeah. arena. I, I started out uh, with the, in the public defender's office in uh, Chicago, uh, Cook County. 
And after five years, I then went to the, attorney, or the U.S. Attorney's Office uh, in Chicago. And then I was recruited uh, by a firm out here to do uh, aviation accident litigation. So that's what brought us out here. So now let's go ahead and, and uh, shift it a little bit and share with everybody uh, your spiritual background and yeah. what's your faith background. My faith background is uh, I grew up Catholic. Um, I uh, had a very close family that uh, was very uh, religious and uh, I went to a Catholic elementary school and a Catholic high school and a Catholic university and a Catholic law school. They, <laughs> they dubbed me down. as Catholic. <laughs> That's right. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Okay. And so, um, and what's, what's exciting then is once you moved here and you were like 29 and, and you started doing the law practice here, um, something happened in your journey uh, with Jesus. So I want to share right. that. What happened was uh, I went through a divorce. And in Catholicism at that time, that was an unforgivable sin. And so I was just really heartbroken. And just didn't know how to deal with this and still felt like I needed and I wanted a spiritual connection. So I went on this quest, this spiritual quest, and I studied Islam and Hinduism and, and transcendental meditation and the Course in Miracles. And at the end of it, I, I just concluded that, you know what, Christianity was the only thing that made sense. It was the only thing that was logical. It was the thing that had, you know, historicity behind it and archaeology behind it. And it had all these witnesses and martyrs. And yet I couldn't be part of that. At least that's what I thought. Cool. Then I was invited to Mount Olympus Presbyterian Church. Many of you may know that on 3900 South. And Jeff Silliman was the pastor there. And, and during that service, the very first service I was at, he raised the Bible and he said, the good news of the gospel is that your sins are forgiven, period. No exceptions. And when he said that, I almost put my hand up and said, does that include divorce? <laughs> but you know what? The Lord just opened my heart at that point. That's when he spoke to me. That's when I understood what it meant to have a personal relationship. And Jeff, Pastor Jeff, came down and prayed with me afterwards. I was pretty emotional at that time. And that really started me on a, on a journey. Wow. And so you were, were you 40 at that time? Is that right? Yeah. I was, I, had, I was just a few months before my 40th birthday. Yeah. So what, what I love, um, and I wanted to make sure that Steve had a chance to share with you his whole journey. Um, uh, well, we're not going to get to the whole journey because there's a lot to it. But, but I, I just think it's fantastic that this mind that you had for, legal, for first for engineering and then logical processes and then law and was actually the thing that God used as you investigated faith and all the different faiths, that it was your intellectual pursuit of it that made it, Christianity make sense. Absolutely. It was, it was a logical faith. It was a, it's a logical, I hate to say religion, but it is. Among all the religions out there, Christianity makes sense. Yeah. So then, so intellectually you pursued him and it made sense, but then it was the grace of God that touched you in your heart. Right. And set you free. Right. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So then share, so now, so you've been pursuing law and now you've received Christ, um, his spirit's living inside of you. And how did you end up from pursuing law to move into helping out with the rescue mission? Yeah, I was uh, uh, trying a case. Uh, I was representing a, a rocket propellant manufacturer in Phoenix 
against, a, uh, against Morton Thiaco in Chicago, and I was working on this case late at night, and, and I just took a break and just uh, looked out the window and prayed about that, and the Lord spoke to me very clearly, not audibly, but very powerfully spoke to me and said, you know, I don't know why you're doing this. You know, I didn't send you to law school to just be involved with transferring money from one corporation to another. I've got, I've got something else in mind, and, and I want you to start by stop practicing law and going to seminary. So that was my last trial. I quit practicing law, and I went to Salt Lake Theological Seminary. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so be careful when you say yes to Jesus, right? That's the first first step. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so you started going to seminary, but how'd you end up at the rescue mission? Well, I was on the board at the rescue mission, and we lost our executive director. He resigned, and uh, we did a search. We did, we did a very broad search nationwide and brought folks in, and it, it just didn't seem right. You know, the chemistry just didn't seem to fit. And I was on my way to Denver, or to Denver Seminary for my third year because they have a, a specialty for uh, oppressed people, for poor people. And I thought that's where God was calling me. And so the rest of the board just said, hey, this is obvious. You should be the executive director. And, and I just said, oh, no, you don't understand. I, we sold our house. Jen was was saying, no, no, this, is, this can't be God's, God's view. We already sold our house. We bought our house in Denver. How can we? Be? And uh, the long and the short of it, we surrendered, got our house back, <laughs> went, to the, went to, the seller, to the buyers and just said, hey, we were kidding about this whole deal. <laughs> and uh, that's how I got to the rescue mission. Right. And so you were the director here for the rescue mission for 10 years. Correct. All right, serving the poor there. And then uh, you went kind of on a journey. Uh, we're going to go overseas. That kind of fell through. You ended up in Tucson right. and became the director of the rescue mission there. Right. And then Steve planted a church in the area because he realized there wasn't a church close to that neighborhood. Um, so you church planted, you were pastoring, and then you ended up back here just a little over year, less than a year ago. Yeah, just in July. Oh, just in Jen, July. Jen came back in January, That's right. but I came back July 4th. Okay. Yeah. So now, so, so now Steve got back here and he's like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And he has um, felt a leading to, to start a, a legal clinic. Um, so go ahead and explain that to everybody. Well, this is a, a nonprofit, and uh, I know that's an oxymoron, a nonprofit legal clinic, but, but that's what it is. <laughs> and the idea was the Lord just kept laying on me, look, I've educated you in this area, the pastoral area. And I've educated you in this legal area. I want you to combine those. And I didn't really know how to do that. But as time went on and I prayed about it more and more, he made it clear that, look, I want you to start this nonprofit that doesn't charge anybody that's below 150% of the poverty line. And the fees are scaled to people's incomes after that. So people making above $24,000 would pay $25 an hour for these kinds of legal services. And I want you to concentrate your practice in areas where people are vulnerable, where people not only have legal issues, but things that are underneath those. And that's where I want you to minister to. That's where I want you to, to be working on both this level, but more importantly, on this level. 
And so share, share with everybody what some of those areas are that you feel called yeah. to, to. So immigration is uh, probably 60% of our practice. And, um, you know, that's, that's an area where the, the word continuously talks about not oppressing the alien. And so we have a lot of folks that, that are actually here that uh, um, are undocumented, but really can be documented. They, they actually, if you talk to, if you do their history, you understand that there is a provision for them. And so that just opens up a whole mentoring door for them. And things like um, um, bankruptcy, you know, if we, if we try to work a deal with the creditors and, and they won't uh, move off of their position, we take them through the bankruptcy proceedings, we deal with them there, but more importantly, we refer them to a Dave Ramsey course so that we can look at the more fundamental issues involved and, and, and develop that relationship so that we can, we can minister to them on a spiritual level. Cool. Yeah. So, so that's part of the beautiful thing and, and, and just wanted all of us to be aware um, of this service that Steve is, is offering, of the connection both taking care of legal issues, but uh, also for us here at K2, there are so many different areas, whether, if, whether it's uh, the divorce recovery or the immigration or the, the, the you had mentioned the drug uh, issue right. with, with criminal law. Criminal. I don't know if you want to touch yeah. on that. Yes. Yeah. You know, because I've had a lot of experience um, in, that, in that area with the rescue missions of people with alcohol and drugs, um, you know, my heart went out to those that are being arrested for uh, a status, for being a drug addict, for, for having uh, a possession of narcotics. And so that's a time that I know that people are really <laughs> vulnerable, that, they're, that they're, you can reach them with hope, with the gospel of hope. You know, things are not all dark, things are not all bleak. And there's a wonderful recovery program called Celebrate Recovery that goes on at this church. And, uh, and so we take them through the legal uh, uh, issues and, and get that straightened out. But while we're doing that, we're working with Celebrate Recovery. We're encouraging them to go there. We hook a mentor up with them, okay? And ask that mentor to go through the Celebrate Recovery with them as well and to continue to disciple them even after the, the issue is over, even after the case is over. It's awesome. Yeah. So a lot more that, you could, that, that we could talk about in this. I, Steve will be in the lobby at the, after the service, and I, I want to really encourage you, because partly for you to be able to offer these services uh, uh, in this way, there's gonna, he, he needs a lot of volunteer help. So if any of you have, if you feel your heart stirred as we continue through the morning, um, check up with, with Steve after the service. But the thing I, last thing I just want to say um, to you all is I wanted you to hear his story, right? Because what's cool is, is God, from the time you were born, he knew he was creating yeah. you for this. Mm-hmm. But you didn't know he was creating you for mm-hmm. this at all. Mm-mm. And that's true for every one of us in this room. Every one of us. So here's Steve, finally, when he gets this point to say, because Jesus said, if you, lose, if you try to save your life, then you're going to lose it. But if you lose your life for me and for the gospel, you'll find it. You found your life. Absolutely. His purpose and his deep meaning that God has for him. And so I just want to encourage you. And I love the fact, too, that if you're here today and Christianity still is something that in your own, in your own intellectual being just doesn't seem to make sense, that you can go on an intellectual journey with faith with Christ. It is not an unreasonable faith. And so go for it. 
and the fact that you can have a life transformation happen when you're 40 years old doing law practice. That God can meet you in the depth of your heart and touch you with grace and heal. I, I, I just want every one of you to know that that can happen in the midst of his journey to justice. And now, uh, what I've asked Steve to do for the rest of our time is I just want him to share with us from the scripture, why is this such a deep, passionate part of the very essence of our God that we serve and worship, and therefore, why should it be a part of us, all right? So, Steve's gonna get up and and begin to share the rest of the message. You give him just a a thanks for sharing this 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 morning. Thank you. All right, thank you. All right. We were kidding at my small group if I was going to put my nitro uh, bottle up here, but we decided not to. Oh, it's such a great honor, really, to be here and uh, to share with you the scriptures, you know, that really affected my heart in regards to this, this journey, this command of, of social justice. And, you know, there's over 2,000 verses in the Old Testament and in the New Testament dealing with social justice and poverty. But the one that always jumps out at me, the one that that I cannot ignore, and did you ever feel like you open your Bible and there's that verse again that you keep seeing the same verse? Is Micah 6.8. Micah 6.8 says, and what does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you but to act justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God? So the context of this in Micah is there's this imaginary discussion going on between the Israelites and between the Lord. And God has a beef against them. He has a charge, a case against the Israelites. And he says, look, you've been in rebellion. You have not done what I told you to do. And the Israelites, the, the nation of Israel says, okay, all right, yes, we have. What should we do? What, how can we make this right? You know, can we, can we give you a thousand yearling lambs or can, can would 10,000 rams be enough? Would, would a, a, a oil, would rivers of oil cover this sin? What, what can we do? Would, would, would my firstborn son cover this sin? And then the Lord says this very strange thing he says he doesn't says he says I don't want any of that stuff no no he says look this is what I require of you all right to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly so those three things we're going to just take a little look at uh, this morning so the first thing is the command You know, this is the thing that grabs me when he says, this is what I require of you, not of us, you know, but of you, okay? And the word require, you know, in the, uh, in Webster's context is, is defined with synonyms, synonyms like uh, uh, the word essential and obey and demands and, and commands and compulsory, and, and it, you get this idea that it's, it's, it's just so essential that it becomes second nature, that it becomes part of your, 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 your being yourself. There was, uh, when I was growing up and in, in our family, there were certain things that, 
that, that I was expected to do. It was required of me and not of my brothers or any of my sisters. This is what I was expected to do. Dad said, look, you'll mow the lawn once a week, okay? <laughs> you will mow the lawn once a week and you will take the garbage out every day. And, you know, I didn't, there was no negotiating for that. You know, he just said, look, this is the way it is. And that's, the, that's the, the feeling of this text that we have here, where this, where there's, this, this word used is, is required. It says, look, there, there's, there's no negotiation here. This is very compulsory and very significant. And he makes it very personal when he uses the word you. You see, it says, require of you, not of the nation of Israel, not of the church, but of you of you and me. That gets my attention every time I read that. So we know what Webster thinks about it. What does scripture have to say about this idea of requiring us to do something? In 1 John 5, 3, it says, this is love for God to obey his command. Well, those were two synonyms that were used by Webster. Isn't that interesting? In Isaiah 58.10, he says, he says, I want you to spend yourselves, spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and the, those in, under oppression. Spend yourselves. In other words, don't leave anything behind. You know, the athletes, we say, look, put it all on the field. You know, be exhausted, okay? Give everything you've got. Paul says in Colossians, you know, whatever you do, work out with all your heart. That's the context of Isaiah 58.10. He says, spend yourselves in these areas of social justice. Conversely, it's interesting what Amos has to say. Amos says, look, he says, woe to you who are complacent. Woe to you if you are saved and that's all you do. Because you're saved not for yourself, you're saved to do good works. Not that good works will get you saved, but that you're saved for good works. Ephesians 2.10 says, look, you know, you're saved for good works which God has preordained for us, okay? So we don't have to, to be going around looking for things that, are, that he wants us to do. He will put things in our path, okay? So it's, it's against God's will to be complacent, to say, okay, now I'm saved. Because he's saying, look, I've got a mission for you. I've got things for you to do, okay? So there's this requirement, uh, there's this, this declaration that we're required to do this, and that it's very personal, very, very personal. He says, this is what I require of you, of you. He says, hey, you know, uh, don't look for somebody else to do these things. I'm asking you, I'm telling you to do these things. It's like my, my, my father was saying, look, don't look for your brother or your sister to bring out the garbage or, or, or to mow the lawn. This is you. This is you. I want you to do that. Okay, I get that. I get that. Maybe that's why this verse speaks to me so clearly. But 
Nonetheless, it's very clear that he wants us, you and me, to take this requirement to act justly very seriously. Now, let's look at those two words, act justly. To act, act is an action word. Act means, act means to do something, not to be complacent. Don't just sit there, do something. So Webster, again, uh, defines it uh, as, as, as just a, an action word. And scripture says it's this. 1 John 3.18 says, Let us not love by words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. So somebody comes to you and says, hey, you know, I've got this problem and, and this is going on and this is, this is happening with me. Can you help me? And you, and you say, well, yeah, I, you know, I, I, I guess I'll pray for you. How about this? You know, isn't that what everybody always, okay, I'll pray for that. I'll pray for that. No, that's a great thing to do. And we want to do that before we do anything. We want to pray that about that. But the Lord's telling us to act, to move, to do something. James 1.22 says, don't just listen to the word and deceive yourselves. Do what it says. That's a requirement. Do what it says. So God doesn't want us to come to that point where we've accepted that gift that he's given us, that incredible gift on the cross that, that, that put us in a state of righteousness so that we could have a communion with him and spend eternity with him. That's not the end of Christianity. That's just the beginning. Now we need to know what the Lord wants us to do with the rest of the time he's given us. Psalm 140, but what is this idea of justice? Psalm 146, 7, 9 says, he upholds the cause of the oppressed and gives food to the hungry, sets prisoners free, gives sight to the blind, lifts up the bowed down, and watches over aliens, fatherless and widow. Aliens then was uh, another name for immigrants, okay? And there was a lot of immigrants at that time, people moving them around in different, different countries all the time. And they were often oppressed, taken advantage of. So there's this entire group that is kind of laid out in a, in a litany in scripture about who is the oppressed? And the alien or the immigrant is one of those, as is the fatherless and the prisoner and the widow. Zechariah 7.10 says, do not oppress, and here they are again, the widow, the fatherless, the alien, or poor. Deuteronomy 24.17 says, do not deprive the alien or fatherless or widow of justice. Proverbs 31, 8, 9 says, speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. And Malachi 3, 5 says, I will be quick to testify against those who defraud laborers. And that's one of my pet peeves here in Salt Lake. You know, being at the rescue mission for 10 years, I saw a lot of guys that would go out to usually clean construction sites. They were usually hired by construction companies, contractors, and they'd go out and work faithfully for eight hours and they'd come back and the guy would give them $20. 20 bucks, you know, for eight hours. That's not even the minimum wage. 
how can we rectify that? How can we, how can we reach out to immigrants in our, in our society here to make a difference? One easy way is to find those day laborer pockets. You know, if you're, I'm very familiar with the one at Home Depot on 21st South. You know, if you're, if you're near the Home Depot on 21st South and just east of I-15 and, and west of State Street, there's always 20 or 30 of, 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 of immigrant people that, that, that are looking to just for day jobs. They're just looking to survive. And so many people will hire them and not even pay minimum wage. So my, inst- my, my suggestion when somebody asks me, well, give, me, give me something concrete I can do with the immigrants is this, look, I go down and I hire one or two guys and I kind of make work for them. You know, I have yard work to do and, and moving furniture and, and, and whatever I can do so that I can be, be generous with them. You know, that I, can, that I can, can, can really give something, not only of financial value to them, but in a deeper way of myself. You see, the important thing to do there is, yes, hire them, pay them graciously, generously, but more importantly, is to develop a relationship with them. Have them to lunch. Say, hey, let's, let's go get lunch and start to relate to them, and start to develop a, a relationship with them that could, who knows where the Lord will lead them, you know, lead that relationship. So that's my one little quick uh, suggestion if you want to do something practical today for uh, an immigrant. So back to Malachi. He says, okay, I want you to, to, to uh, act justly. And I, and I am going to point out through different scriptures here all these specific people that are vulnerable. You know, they are easily preyed upon. They are easily victims. Not only the immigrant, you know, but also the guy coming out of prison, okay? Also the, the widow, um, and also the person that's been involved with, uh, with drugs and alcohol. You know, these are people that are very vulnerable, and that's where God says, I want you to be. He says, that's where I want you to spend your time to apply social justice to show mercy. He says, I want you to love mercy. Webster again defines this idea as the, ca- the compassionate treatment of those in distress, showing kindness to the needy, showing kindness to the needy. Proverbs 14.31 says, He who oppresses the poor shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy. Okay, same, same definition. Whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Proverbs 19.17 says, He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will reward him for what he has done. But perhaps the very best example of showing, uh, of showing mercy, of showing mercy is the Good Samaritan story, the parable that Jesus used when the, when the, the lawyer asked him, what is, it, what, is, what is it gonna take for me to have eternal life? And, and Jesus answered, he, he recited the Shema, which you're probably familiar with. The Jewish people start the day and end the day with the Shema says, hear, O Israel, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor, 
okay? So we can, we can compress that down to, look, this is pretty simple stuff. Love God and love others. Love God and love others. But then he goes on and he says, he says, he tells them this parable as an example. And he says, there's this man that's walking from Jerusalem to Jericho, the road to Jericho. Jericho was a city just on the other side of the border. And there was traffic of Samaritans and Jews back and forth all the time. And there was a, there was a man that uh, came upon some, some uh, muggers and they, and they mugged him and robbed him and beat him half to death. That's what the, script, the NIV says, half to death, beaten half to death. That's where that phrase comes from. And then a priest walks that same road and he sees on one side of the road this man that is just bleeding and beaten and had been robbed and stripped naked and stripped naked. And what does he do? Does he rush? No, he walks over to the other side of the road to avoid this guy, okay? And then a Levite comes and he sees this poor stripped man bleeding and, and really in bad shape. He does the same thing. He walks on the other side of the road. He said, man, I don't want to get involved with that. That could be trouble. That's messy. That's, you know, that guy's bleeding and body fluids and he's naked and gosh, I don't think I should, I'm equipped to do that. But then there's a Samaritan that comes down that road. Now the Samaritans were despised by the Jews, right? And he comes along and he sees this man and he stops and he's not a trained physician, you know, where the story doesn't say, the parable doesn't say that he's a lawyer like Luke. He just uses what God gives him and he bandages this man up and then he gives him transportation. He puts him on his uh, donkey and takes him to the hotel, to an inn. And he spends that night with him, caring for him. And then the next day, he has to go to attend to his business, but he gives money to the innkeeper and says, look, I want you to know I'm not abandoning this guy. You know, I've got this guy in my room, okay? Here's money for the night and for the next couple of nights, but I'll be back. I'll be back. I'll be back to minister to this person. And as the story goes, Jesus uh, looks at... Um, the lawyer, and he says, I want you to go and do likewise. You see, it's not about the, the position that the Levites had or the priest had. It's all about showing love and mercy to someone that God has put right in your path. Remember the Levite and, and, and the priest had to go out of their way to avoid this poor fellow. That's the example of mercy that I think is, is so compelling. And the interesting thing is, it's done by a Samaritan, not one of God's chosen, chosen people. So, this idea of, of, of mercy, this idea of justice, it's beginning to make sense. This is a very personal thing. He says, I require you and you and you. All of us, he requires us, me, you and me to act justly and to love mercy and to do one more thing. While you're doing that, do it humbly. Understand that I am God, I am sovereign and you can't do anything without me. 
I think one of the best stories to illustrate that is in the first chapter of Acts. Remember, this is the, the chapter just uh, after the resurrection. Jesus is getting ready to ascend to heaven, and the apostles are just feeling charged, man. They're just saying, hey, our Lord has returned. Our Savior's here. We're ready, God. We're, we're ready to get out there. And Jesus says, wait. He says, wait until I send a gift from my Father. That gift is the Holy Spirit. He says, look, don't rush out there and try to do ministry on your own. You will be defeated. You will be opposed by forces stronger than you. You will be opposed by the adversary and for rulers and authorities and principalities that you don't even know about that are opposed to you. You can't do this on your own. Walk humbly and understand that the power that you have to minister in this way is only from the Holy Spirit. It's not from yourselves. So the Lord is instructing us. He wants us to act justly. He wants us to love mercy, but he wants us to realize that it's not from ourselves, that we cannot do this of ourselves. We'll get just exhausted and frustrated and burned out if we try by our own strength to do any of these things. You see, it's only by the power of the Spirit in us that we can do this. It's really uh, an act of naivete to think that, that we can oppose spiritual forces without the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is what we need to fulfill this requirement of acting justly and loving mercy. Paul reminds us uh, of this many times. He reminds us in Ephesians 6.12 about the spiritual forces. He reminds us in Colossians that the idea of doing things justly and mercifully is something that is so basic, okay, that we should do it with all our heart. He says, whatever you do, you know, whatever comes in your path, minister to that person with all your heart. Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as though working for the Lord, not for, not for the, the particular circumstance that, that you're put in, right? So it's this idea of being... Uh, of giving of yourselves totally, walking humbly. Now, one thing that's kind of a caveat is that the, the idea of social justice should never be confused with the social gospel. Social justice is part of the journey that we're on. We're saved, we learn about the nature of God, his character, we study the Bible, and then it's time to go from learning about God to living for God. You know, there comes a point, okay, in your journey where you've had enough, okay? You've been fed enough. The, the scripture says, don't be complacent to just sit here and take it all in. Scripture tells us to go do, to act. And that's what is repeated throughout both the Old and New Testament. But that's not salvation, okay? Salvation begins with understanding that we're a sinner, 
and that we're separated from God. And because of that separation, something has to happen to restore that relationship. And that's where he sent his son to die on the cross for us so that we could be made clean, so that our sins can be paid for. So that's salvation. That's the gospel, okay? But the requirement after that is don't be complacent with just being saved. You're not saved for yourself. You're saved to continue the journey and see what I put in your path, who I put in your path to minister to. So that's what I just wanted to talk with you a little bit about this morning. That's just what I wanted to share. That verse, Micah 6, 8, it just, every time I open the Bible, it just seems like I'm coming up to that, you know? And it's so powerful, it's so personal. What does God require of you? Act justly, right? Love mercy, and while you're doing that, walk humbly. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you so much at this time of thanksgiving for all that you've done for us, for giving your blood for us so that we can be in a right relationship with, with you and your Father. Lord, we thank you first of all and most of all for that. We thank you for all the blessings, though, that you've given us. Lord, we thank you that you have preordained circumstances that we will come across in our journey, circumstances where you want us, like the Good Samaritan, to show justice and mercy to those in our pathway. Lord, thank you for allowing us to be in service to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.